So when I was in my early 20s, uh, Lisa, last year, it's been, it's been five or six, but I appreciate you saying that. <clears throat> um, Lisa and I were early in ministry, and I remember sitting at her parents' kitchen table, uh, dining room table, and my brother-in-law, who was in ministry at the time, asked me, Chris, what is your, what's your life's purpose? What do you believe God's called you to do? And I knew it was bigger than uh, be a pastor or be a youth pastor or work at this church. It, he said, what will sustain you through your entire life? What will be the thing that you know you're called to do no matter what? No matter if you're a youth pastor or, or work in carpentry, no matter what you're doing, you believe you're called to do that. And I, I remember actually my answer to him, and I don't know that it's identical to what it is today, but I gave the answer that I really truly believed was the right one. And then recently, as um, Pastor Dan and I were, were talking and just, you know, contemplating the challenges and the adventures of ministry and what it would look like to to navigate through some of the difficulties that we're in. And he said something that brought me back to that table, that conversation many years ago. And he said, what is it that you believe that God has called you to do to lead our church? What purpose has he given you for this church? And I didn't know that I had a good answer in that moment. I knew I should have. I, I, I wondered how I didn't have one ready to go, but I think through years and years of ministry and just overcoming different challenges and navigating through different messes and just doing a bunch of things that I, I maybe had lost even the belief that that's what ministry was, that that's what leading the church was, that it maybe didn't even matter if I had a purpose at that point. Because it didn't seem to matter sometimes what that purpose was. What difference does it make when you can't do this and you can't do that because of the challenges that you're in? And so although I was discouraged that maybe I had lost that, I felt challenged that I needed to find that. And I really do believe, someone's at the door, so if you could get that real quick. <laughs> Let them in, they're late for church. <clears throat> um, I thought if I, if I can get this, I, I, I put this mantle before God, I said if, if, if I can get this from you, I can lead. And if I can't, I can't. And I really do believe that I have that from God, that he restored back to me what had been lost in me. And that's what we're gonna do in this series is I'm gonna share with you what I think God has shared with me. So 31% of the planet calls themselves Christians, identifies as Christian, that's about two and a half billion people. But what does that mean? I mean, who are these two and a half billion people? I mean, on a very, very practical, very definitive level, 
a Christian by definition, the, the word Christian comes from the Greek word Christianos, which just means Christ bearer because it comes from Christus, which means Christ. And it means to literally be belong to Christ or to follow Christ. So the word Christian literally means Christ follower. So that would then lead you to the conclusion that everyone who calls themselves a Christian knows Christ and is following him because they know him and they adhere to his teachings. We know that that's not the case. I know that's not the case because believe it or not, I genuinely don't believe that maybe 99% of Christianity is actually following Christ. I don't think that that's what we're doing in Christianity. For 2,000 years, we've had the benefit of those who have gone before us and have established doctrines and traditions and expressions and practices to create a religion that is based on Jesus and claims to worship Jesus and claims to represent Jesus. That is Christianity by definition. But based on the behavior, based on the lifestyle, based on the way that Christians treat one another and the unbeliever, based on our current culture based on watching the lifestyle of somebody who calls himself a Christian and then seeing the disparity between how Christians act, how Christians talk, how Christians think, and how Jesus acted, and how Jesus thought, and how Jesus spoke. You think there is such a huge, huge chasm between those two things. This person who says they are following this one simply can't be. Either this person isn't who we thought he was or this person truly doesn't know him. And that is what has happened in Christianity because religion, after all, is easy. It's a shortcut. Religion is when someone simply says, we've done all the heavy lifting, we've investigated, we've looked at it, this is what you need to believe, this is who God is, take us at our word, and here are the rules you need to follow in order to be one of us, to be in our club, to use our name, to have, have our title, to, to sell Amway, to be a Chick-fil-A associate, whatever it is, this is the language you need to use, this is the behavior you need to have. But the problem is, that that is so scattered among Christianity that what we've become is a religion in which we've uh, chosen for ourselves what we believe is sort of the most perfected version of it if there is one. Well, we don't believe like they believe because they don't believe like we believe. And if they don't believe like we believe, then they can't truly be Christians. And so it's really become the most acceptable form of groupthink, yet the most divided form of groupthink. We all say we follow him, yet we can't get our acts together on what it looks like to follow him. So to be an actual Christ follower, I mean, an authentic, and I, I hate to use the cliche words, the buzzwords, authentic and genuine, and, but I mean to be really, really, truly, honestly, legitimately, 
Like nobody can question the reality of whether you are or aren't to truly be a Christ follower, an undeniable, undeniable follower of Christ. It fundamentally requires that you walk that road for yourself. A religion can't do that for you. You can't follow Christianity and follow Jesus. You either follow Jesus, and by virtue of that, you get to be called a Christian if you chose to be, or if someone to choose, but it doesn't make you a Christian to be a Christian. You're not a Christ follower just because you're a Christian. And so we've gotten really good at following Christianity at adhering to Christianity, at being good at the religion of Christianity. But you, you by yourself, you have to discover him, you have to know him, you have to accept him in order to even begin to follow him. You won't get that by coming here. This is helpful in a journey to follow him, no doubt. But this isn't the journey of following him. And I can't help you know him unless you are actively getting to know him yourself. I mean, I married Lisa because I knew her, I spent time with her, I fell in love with her. I truthfully couldn't tell you what Lisa's favorite color is. I don't know if she has a favorite color, to be honest with you. It's not like she wears a particular color all the time. I don't think I know what her favorite Christmas song is. Because in the reality, it's not, that's not who Lisa is. I can, any one of you might know those things about her. You might know more about her than I do, like what her favorite color is and what her favorite Christmas song is and, and maybe what her favorite article of clothing is. You might know that about her, but I know her know her. I know what's important about her because I'm with her all the time, because I talk to her, because we connect, because, because we emote together, because there's nothing more important in my life than her. And that's the difference between just knowing about her. There's this great passage in Matthew 4. I'm not jump clumps of scripture, but then the woman left her water jar. Jesus had met this woman at a well. There was a couple encounters. Uh, the well, by the way, was like where everybody from communities came because it was the shared source of water. So a lot of communal things happened there, except for the fact men almost never, ever, ever went to the well. That was a job for a woman. And so Jesus would encounter these women. It was memorable and notable. The woman left her uh, water. She had this encounter with Jesus and then leaves, uh, left her uh, water jar and went back to town. She said to the people, all of those in her community, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She had been married five times. She, she, um, Jesus just reads her mail, prophetically reads her mail, like tells her everything about himself. She goes, this man truly is something special. Do you think he might be the Christ which means the Messiah. So the people left the town and went to see Jesus. Then we're skipping to 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans who were Jewish but believed almost completely differently than the, the rest of the Jewish community, uh, many of the Samaritans in that town believed in Jesus, listen, because of what the woman said. He told me everything I did. 
When the Samaritans came to Jesus, they begged him to stay with them. So he stayed there two more days and many more believed because of the things he said. Now listen to this. Then they said to the woman, first we believed in Jesus because of what you said, but now we believe because we have heard him for ourselves. We know that this man is really the savior of the world. Christianity has done a good job of accelerating the message of Christ to a degree in which people have believed enough in him to believe in Christianity. But many have fallen short of getting to know him. You see, they took it upon themselves after they heard about Jesus to go seek out Jesus for themselves. They called on him and begged him to stay with them. And after two days of listening to this man speak and listening to his heart and listening to everything he said and what he did and how he acted, they said, we once believed because of what you said, but I gotta tell you, we now believe because we actually know who, because the belief that they had in what she said could have diminished fairly quickly. Could have faded away until someone came along with a better story. Till someone came along with a guess who I met. You know that person at the party? You tell a story and they go, ah, ah, you think that's a funny story, listen to my story, right? And then everybody laughs a little louder and you wanna punch that person in the face because you thought your story was awesome and everyone's gonna think you're the funniest person. Maybe that's not happened to you. Happens to me all the time. So this, this is about getting to know him, begging him to stay until you know him. Number one, if I walk away from Christianity to get to Jesus, I have to start with first, stripping off a faith that doesn't belong to me. Has to start with stripping off a faith that doesn't belong to me. So when the boys were little, Carson hadn't been born yet, and uh, the boys were little, and everybody remember the picture people in the mall? Yeah, so that's where you went. You didn't go to Sears or JCPenney because those were OG, those were old school. You went to the picture people if you were cool, contemporary, and young and hip. And so we were, we were those cool, young, hip, and they posed you in silly poses. And so we did that with the boys and we dressed them up in my clothes and uh, throw it up on the big screen. Can, it, can you do that again? There you go. There you go, perfect. And um, so they're wearing my, uh, you know, in, in ministry we have to wear ties and when I became lead pastor here, I was like, I'm never wearing a tie again. And um, so uh, they've got my shirts on and they've got me, because that's cute, right? My, my little boy's wearing my shirt and my tie. And that's adorable. Yeah, say my kids are adorable, say it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Man, and after, I shouldn't have to work that hard, okay. You can, you can take them out, yeah. And um, so that's cute. It, I don't know that that would be great though because when they were standing, the shirts came down to here and the ties were hanging down. It wouldn't be safe or it would be awkward and weird to send them out to play with their friends or go to school wearing my clothes, right? The clothes they should be wearing are their own because that's what's fitted to them because that's where they're at. And in faith, The people that we're around, those that we spend time with, those that we trust, those that we love, those that we let be voices of influence in our life, 
They are the ones who shape our beliefs about politics and about money. My dad's a, a really good numbers guy and he, he taught me how to be really frugal with money. My, my, that, that's, and my mom's incredibly crafty and creative and could build things out of anything and any piece of furniture in our house, she, it, it stayed in our house for decades because she would sand it down and redo. So I got a little, I learned both of those things from them, including my faith, by the way, because that's who we allow to influence us about the most important things in our life. And with good intent and good hearts and, and a love for us, the people that influence us are putting their garments of faith around us. And so we grow up wearing the faith of those who have gone before us in this belief. But like the woman at the well, it's only their story that we're following. Their experience, we trust that they know what they're talking about. We trust our parents or our grandparents or we trust the, the friend who we started. I, I, I had a friend at, at school who started taking me to a different church where I really fell in love with God. But honestly, I just watched everybody at first and I, I wanted what they had, so I tried to imitate what they had. But that led me <clears throat> to a faith of my own. There's a great story in the Bible in 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 40. Uh, David, who we think maybe is I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years old at this time. And he goes up and no one else will challenge this giant, this Philistine Goliath. And David tells King Saul, who's at the front line of the battlefield, that he'll do it. So David took, uh, Saul took his own clothes and armor and he put them on David. He put his bronze helmet on David's head and David tied Saul's sword to the top of the armor. Then he tried to walk, then David tried to walk, but he had not worn heavy armor like this before. So David said to Saul, I can't wear all this armor to fight. I've not used armor before. So David took it all off. Instead, David picked up his shepherd's stick. I love that story because David he wasn't questioning Saul's integrity. Uh, he picked up five round stones from the stream. He put them in the pocket of a shepherd's bag. He held the sling and he walked towards the Philistine soldier. D David wasn't, he wasn't telling Saul, this is, this is better than your sword. This is better than your helmet. These sticks and stones. Th they, people must have thought, oh my God, this kid's gonna get slaughtered. He's gonna get absolutely demolished. David understood something though. His agility and mobility and his ability to fight the lions and the bears and the wolves and the coyotes, everything he had gone up against before came from his ability to simply use the tools that he was already familiar with to win the battle. And he didn't want to wear Saul. He said, this is great for you. Saul was known as a man of stature, a big man, a warrior, a true warrior, and he's putting all this heavy garment and all this heavy armor on David, and David just says, I can't get there in your clothes. I can't, get, I can't win this battle. And so David just begins to pick up his shepherd's staff, and he picks up some stones, and he's, he's like, oh, I know these are good ones. These are flyers right here. 
I can get 200 yards out of this one. He just takes all his, his just simple tools and he makes it to the battle. And if you know the story, turns out well for David. And I want to tell you that you'll never get to Jesus wearing somebody else's faith. Number two is this. If I walk away from Christianity to get to Jesus, I have to start with navigating my way through impossible beliefs that lead to Jesus. Navigate my way through the impossible beliefs that lead to Jesus. So I grew up in St. Louis uh, with a guy that ended up becoming my best friend. And um, I think I loved this guy because our stories, our lives were so different and I, I was fascinated by him. He, um, his mom was very young and single when he was born and um, she was like a teenager and uh, her and his stepdad would raise him and they were, I, I was raised in a very comfortable middle-class family and he was actually pretty poor, pretty low income. So, so low income that his mom was homeless when he was born. And, but he was so, none of that, it was like he overcame all of that. None of that mattered. He seemed so determined. The rest of us seemed like we didn't know what we were doing with our lives. We we're just going to blow through our teenage years and be complete idiots. And he was focused. He seemed to know what he was going to do all the time. He never varied from that. And uh, we ended up going to college together, and we rented this small, really small house, very, very small house uh, together. And um, we'd had, I knew, I knew he was something extraordinary when this thing happened at our, our house. We had somehow about 75 people ended up at our house. And all of us were broke like all college students are. So there was literally no food in the house. We would, we didn't grocery shop. We, you just meal to meal. That's all you did. It would be Taco Bell. It'd be crazy bread from Little Caesars. You'd go get anything you could afford. Maybe there was a jar of peanut butter, but I remember all these people in our house, nobody brought anything obviously because everybody's poor. We weren't supplying anything because we were poor. We just had a house and that was pretty awesome in college. And there was somebody found a frozen Totino's pizza, which was probably like gold to us. Like that was probably he and I's dinner for the next night. And they asked if they could cook it. And I was like, didn't want to be the jerk, but I'm, first of all, I'm like, who's that going to feed? You can't feed 75, right? So somebody throws the Totino's pizza in the oven. Well, it was my roommate who did it. And um, I'm just thinking, okay, I'm not sure why. That just seems almost cruel because everybody will smell the pizza and then nobody will get any of the pizza. And uh, so 15 minutes, by the way, if you've ever seen a Totina's, we couldn't afford Tony's. Tony's are that big. Totina's are that big. And it, it, it's even got a cute name. A Totino's, a little pizza, right? And uh, Tony's is a big pizza. So it was, they're like this big. So 15 minutes later, everyone's moving towards the kitchen. I think everyone's thinking they're getting a piece. And so I'm trying to, and this is a small house, so I'm trying to get into the kitchen. And uh, as people are walking their way out, somebody walks out with a whole Totino's. 
And I'm like, oh, that's not going to go well. People are going to, they're going to shank him and beat him and they're going to take that pizza. And then someone else comes out with one and then another. And one person after the other are coming out with Totino's pizzas. So I'm thinking someone ran and grabbed them, but they're all cooked at the same exact time. They're all leaving the kitchen at the same exact time. And 75, 80 people, everybody got their own pizza, sitting there eating, people going back for seconds. There were pizzas I put, I threw away like 15, 12 or 15 pizzas that were cooked just sitting on the counter that nobody ate after everybody left. And I asked him how he did it. And he said he was God incarnate, the son of God, and he just prayed to his father that he would multiply the pizza so that everybody could eat. Of course, that's not a true story, but that's Jesus. And if I asked you to believe my story that I just told you, put your faith in my roommate in college who multiplied one Totina's pizza into 75 to feed a party full of people, you would have a very, very difficult time trusting in my sanity. Yet, Jesus was born to a virgin, a woman who had never been with a man. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead. Luke 4.40 says this, As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought the sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Go to the next passage in John eleven forty three through 44. When Jesus had said this, he shouted with a loud voice to a dead man, his dead friend Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. There were pieces of cloth around his hands and his feet and another piece. And he said, undo the cloth and let him go. He defied the laws of nature, Mark 6, 47 through 49. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw them walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost, and they were all terrified at what they saw. Jesus himself returned from the dead, Mark 15, or 16, five through seven. I'm, I might, some of these references might be wrong. Those who do my notes corrected them. So just take my word, whatever it says down at the bottom is probably the right one. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robe, an angel on the right side and the women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here, he's risen from the dead. Jesus is also then the sole hope of salvation for humankind. Listen to John 3, 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world to judge the world, or not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Go to the next passage. 
Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father, or no one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you'd know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, you've seen me. Jesus says, I am God, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no one can be saved except through me. I've just told you multiple things that are impossible to believe with human reason, human logic, with common sense. You didn't believe my story at the end when I said he just multiplied him. He was the actual son of God. I was his roommate in college. You'd think both of us should be committed, right? But because this is 2,000 years old and because there's 2,000 years of church history to tell us that this is all true, we just get there on our own. I want you to hear this. You have to walk that road. You have to get there on your own. You have to get to a place where you suspend disbelief and you suppress doubt and you say, do I believe that Jesus really was and do I believe that Jesus really was what he said that he was? Because you cannot be a follower of Christ if you do not believe not just that, but all of it. You don't get to pick and choose. That's ludicrous, I don't believe that, but I do believe this, because all you've really done then is created an icon or a mascot for your religion. You've just said, this is the cute little thing. I don't need it to say anything. I don't need it to do anything. I don't need it to boss me around or tell me anything. I really don't need it to be anything more than something that elevates me out of the, out of the norm, out of the muck, out of the mediocrity. I just need something that gives me a little bit of hope but doesn't actually affect my life, doesn't actually require anything from me, doesn't actually challenge my belief system. You don't know anyone who's miraculously healed somebody. You don't know anyone who's come back from the dead. So all of this demands a level of faith in which you said, if he is truly that, then how could you not follow him? If Jesus is that, and I don't want him to be less than that, because if he's less than that, then he isn't God. He is just a madman making insane claims. But if he is that, I have to get there on my own. I can't take your word for it. I can't take your crazy college story. Third and finally is this. If I walk away from Christianity to get to Jesus, I have to start with preparing myself to meet a Jesus I've never known. To meet a Jesus I've never known. Let me read this passage to you out of Matthew 7. These are Jesus' own words. He said, not all who sound religious are really godly people. They may refer to me as Lord, but still won't get to heaven. For the decisive question is whether they obey my Father in heaven. At the judgment, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, teacher, teacher. We told others about you and we used your name to cast out demons and do many other great miracles, but I will reply, you've never been mine, which literally translates, I never knew you. Go away for your deeds are evil. Can I tell you that Jesus just said that many, Many will claim to be a follower. Many will claim to know him. Many will have used his name to communicate a message about him. Many will have done what appear to be good things using his name. Maybe miraculous. Maybe good in nature. 
And yet Jesus said, I will look at you on judgment day and say, I never knew you. That, if there's a verse in the Bible that terrifies me, it's that one. Because I wonder how much of my life has been spent doing things for his name, in his name, using his name, about his name. And yet Jesus had nothing to do with any of that. I was, Lisa and I um, went up to Reno for uh, Friday night and then we spent some time with some friends on Saturday. We drove home late last night. And uh, late at night I get reflective, right? And um, we hit a snowstorm on the summit and you start thinking, I'm gonna die, so I probably should say meaningful (laughs) things, right? And um, I just said, I'm, I'm angry at myself. I'm angry at myself because I think so much of my ministry has not been introducing people to Jesus. I mean, getting people to know Jesus. I think most of my ministry has been spent, the early parts, I'd like to believe that the last 15 or so years have been gradually moving in the right direction. But there were some some long years of me just teaching people how to do the things that looked like you're a Christ follower. I wasn't being manipulative or, or dishonest. I truly believed in what I was doing, but I was wrong because I don't know that I moved them towards Jesus. I just moved them deeper into the religion that says that it follows Jesus. And I'm gonna give you the first part, just the very, 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 very first part that I believe that if I could summarize what I will spend the rest of my life doing and my life is expressed through this pastoring here and through my role as a husband and as a father and just a person in this community. And no matter where I go and no matter what I do, I believe that my purpose is to get every single person that I can touch, reach, encounter to know Jesus not even to accept him, not even to follow, if they can know him. I don't have to do the work of getting them to be a follower or convincing them. I just want them to know what Jesus looks like and what he talks like, what he acts like, how he helps people and how he loves people. I want through us that every home in Lincoln will know Jesus because of us. And I'm going to tell you over the next three weeks, the three simple ways that people can know Jesus because of us. And I want you to hear this. I want this to be a campaign of you're not invited to my church. Because if it feels even remotely driven by that, People can smell a fraud a mile away, a manipulator a mile away. I don't care whether anyone steps foot into this church. I care 
that they know Jesus, that they meet Jesus, that they discover Jesus, and who is gonna represent him but his followers. And if we truly follow him, then we will lead people to him. But if not, we just lead people deeper into this mess that we call Christianity that has weighted itself down with traditions and doctrines and expressions and rituals and behaviors that are so far from who Jesus is that I can't imagine he's not brokenhearted at the idea that there are two and a half billion people who call themselves his followers, but don't know him. And he'll have to say to them one day, get away from me because I never knew you. Everything you did was evil because anything that doesn't lead people to Jesus leads them away. And if you're leading them into religion, it's just a couple clicks off from who he is. It's just far enough to get them away from Jesus without ever actually knowing Jesus. And what a horrible crime of eternity that would be to make people think they've met Jesus when all they've met is religion. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I want to just pray over us. Jesus, I, I don't even sometimes want to pray because I think, <sighs> I think maybe I'm doing it the wrong way. I think I'm, I'm doing it the way I was taught and I think that there's some formula to getting to you and Rarely do I ever talk to you like I would talk to anyone else and there's something fundamentally wrong with that. That I, I, I make communication with you sterile and, and succinct and request and listening and this, this transactional exchange where I, I think I'm supposed to come and do a Shark Tank presentation and hopefully you buy into what I'm saying. And so I'm praying in the most genuine way I know how that I'm, I'm just asking that you, every one of us that calls ourselves a Christ follower, that calls ourselves a Christian, that you could have a, 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 a pre-meeting with us before judgment to tell us, I have to tell you, you think you know me, but you don't. You think you've accepted me, but you haven't. You think you're following, but you aren't. So that we can know that we've bought into sincerely, genuinely, maybe lovingly bought into the religion around you without actually knowing you. Help us know the difference so that we can by ourselves, for ourselves, pursue you and navigate through the impossible beliefs that lead to you. And if we can begin to accept that and believe that, and it will be tough because the man who called on Jesus to heal his daughter 
said, if you can do this, and Jesus said, if I can do this, I can do anything if you believe. The man said, I do believe, but help me with the part of me that doesn't believe. I know you can do amazing things even as we struggle in our faith, even as we struggle to accept, even as we struggle to believe. You know our hearts, you know our intentions, so help us, move us towards you. Oh my God, we could change this city by just being genuine Christ followers. I'm praying for that. I want to see that as our future because I know that that's what you've called us to do. Now help us do it. It's in your name we pray it all. Amen.